Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we'll be today. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Dark Night. And not to be confused with the uh, Batman movie of the same series. I didn't think about that until, actually I sent that to Robert and I thought, somebody's going to say that. That's not what we mean. Um, This has been, and and some of you know this, I mean, I I think all of us who have gone through this year know this. 2020 has been a very trying time. And 2020... And, and it's not just 2020, there are different seasons of life uh, apart from 2020 where life just seems so incredibly heavy, although it has seemed probably exponentially so this past year, and we're not done yet. But 2020 has been a very difficult time for a lot of people. There's been a lot of loss, there's been a lot of confusion, there's been a great deal of uncertainty. And so with that in mind, just hearing from, from people here, hearing from people that I know and love within my family, hearing from people that I know and love in other places who, who join us online, the more and more I listened, the more and more I kept hearing this theme of things have just been hard. And so what I would like for us to do over the next few weeks is walk through finding God in the midst of these difficult times, finding God in the middle of these hard times, finding God when there, there seems to be uh, just a spiritual heaviness, finding God when there's uncertainty, finding God in the midst of grief, finding God in the midst of these difficult times, finding God in the darkest of night. And so I want us just to take a few weeks and just walk through this. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to us as we just look at what God's Word says about these different things that we go through where we experience what that old saying, that dark night of the soul. And so today I want us to start by looking at the story of Joseph and I want us to look at the idea of pit stops. Now when we say pit stop, normally we think about a racetrack and we think about a race car making a pit stop. Uh, making a short stop to get refueled, to maybe change some tires, to do some repairs, something along those lines to get you back on your journey. Well, the pit stops that we're looking at today are stops that seem to go on and on forever. Pit stops, and what we're talking about today, along the lines of being put into a pit, literally in in the sense of Joseph, or in the case of Joseph, being put into one of those pit seasons of life and not being able to get out on your own, feeling trapped and feeling like you don't know where God is in the middle of this sometimes. I want us to look at the life of Joseph and look at a few principles that we can glean from his life. So we find in Genesis chapter 37, as the story begins, Joseph comes to his brothers and Joseph was a favored son by his dad. Joseph was given this coat of many colors, and it was uh, an elaborate robe. Most commentators believe that this was an indication that Joseph would receive a large portion of the inheritance, and all of his brothers resented him because of that. And because of this, we find, as we're going to look in just a moment, they throw him into a literal pit. And we find that that's not the only pit that Joseph gets thrown into. 
Now, that's the only physical pit he's thrown into, but he gets into some other situations throughout the story of his life where it just seems like he is hemmed in, and we find that that is where God tests Joseph. Our first uh, principle that we're going to talk about today is that God reveals the genuineness of faith through the pit. It's in the pit experience, so to speak, that God will reveal the genuineness of faith. And Joseph endures a number of tests as he is thrown into various types of pits. Let's start in Genesis 37. First of all, there's the test of betrayal. Genesis 37, verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took Joseph to Egypt. So the first test is the test of betrayal that he experiences with this pit. It's a test of faith. He's been betrayed by his own brothers. His own flesh and blood have taken him and sold him into slavery. Have you ever felt sold out? Have you ever been betrayed? Maybe, maybe by someone close to you. That's when betrayal hurts the worst. When someone that close to you sells you out, betrays you, turns against you, Joseph endured the test of betrayal. The genuineness of Joseph's faith is being tested in this moment. We find out that Joseph is sold into slavery. He's taken down into Egypt. And he's purchased as a slave by an officer in Pharaoh's uh, army named Potiphar. So Potiphar purchases Joseph to be his slave, to be his servant in his house. And as he's working in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife starts looking at Joseph. The Bible says he was a handsome man. So as Potiphar, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife is looking at Joseph, Potiphar's wife thinks, you know, my husband's busy. My husband's out doing military stuff. I'm here with this handsome young Hebrew guy, maybe this could be something more. Maybe we could have an illicit romance. And so she begins day after day to try to come on to Joseph. And we're going to find in a few moments that he keeps rejecting her advances. So then one day she's had enough of it. She sends everybody away out of the household. So they're just by themselves in the house. And she grabs his clothing and says, come lie with me. And he breaks free, runs away. And as he runs away, she's left holding his robe. And so she calls her husband up and says, this servant, this servant that you brought in the house, this guy tried to rape me. Notice in Genesis 39, verse 19. It's the test of false accusation. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. You ever been lied about? 
betrayed, lied about, misrepresented. Maybe some of your words have been misquoted. Maybe somebody took something that you said out of context and ran with that. Maybe, maybe somebody's just flat out just made up stuff and just lied about you. Joseph is enduring this. Here's Joseph. He's already been sold into slavery. He's already been betrayed by his family. And now he's got a job. He's doing his job the best that he knows how. And now he gets lied about. And now he's thrown into prison. So there's the test of betrayal. There's the test of false accusation. Now Joseph remains in prison for a number of years. And as he is in prison, he becomes acquainted with these two other guys, probably many more, but these two other people who are in prison as well. It's the king's prison, the Bible tells us. He becomes acquainted with the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. And so you find that there are these two people. These are trusted positions because if you can't trust your baker, the person who bakes your bread, your daily bread, then you got a problem. Because if you think maybe that baker is putting something in your food, there's an issue with that. And the cupbearer was one of the people closest to the king. The cupbearer was just that. It wasn't just a matter of, here, king, I'm bringing you your cup. It was a matter of whenever there would be wine poured in that cup or whatever liquid the king was going to drink, the cupbearer would take a drink of it first and had to give the nod, seems okay to me. Because if the cupbearer drank that wine and then fell over dead, probably not a good idea to drink whatever was in that cup. So that cupbearer was literally putting his life on the line on a daily basis for the ruler. So Joseph becomes friends with these two guys. And these two guys each have a dream. And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret those dreams. And so the cupbearer tells Joseph, this is my dream. And Joseph says, oh, you know, I, I know exactly what that means. It means that God is going to restore you. The king is going to restore you to your prominent position. You're going to be released. And the cupbearer is thinking, that's great. And the baker says, me, me, I've got a dream. And he tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph's like, not so cheery for you. He's going he's gonna to cut your head off. I mean, that's, you know, and this is what happens. We find that, that he kills the baker. Pharaoh has the king, or Pharaoh has the baker killed, but he restores the cupbearer. But Joseph had said, okay, listen, Mr. Cupbearer, you're going to go back into the palace, and when you go back into the palace, I need you to put in a word for me. Like, like talk to Pharaoh and tell him, how you got back and that I interpreted dreams and all that. And just remember that I'm the one that told you this. Cupbearer, yeah, 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 you got it, you got it. Well, no, he forgets. So you find in Genesis 40, verse 21. He, that's Pharaoh, restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker. In the, in the dream, his head was lifted. He didn't actually decapitate him in real life. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So there's the test of betrayal. There's a test of false accusation. And there's the test of being forgotten. Here's Joseph. He's forgotten. He's in a bad place. And someone who has the ability to help him forgets him just totally forgets him. In each of these cases, Joseph's faith is being tested. 
In each of these cases, from bad to worse to worse, Joseph is being tested. God tests the genuineness of our faith in the pits. And sometimes it's in those pits you learn things that you can't learn any other way. The only place you can learn certain lessons are from the pit. Listen to Psalm 105, verse 16. This is a psalm that's written with reference to Joseph. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. This is what God's doing. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So here's Joseph through this testing of his faith in the pit experiences, through all these different tests of betrayal, God is testing him, according to the psalmist. And we find what happens. Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh says, I need this dream interpreted. And nobody can interpret the dream. And that's around the time the chief cupbearer says, you know, I know this guy that I forgot about, but now I remember him. Uh, he, could, he's, he could interpret this dream. So they go and get Joseph. They bring Joseph out. Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And in doing so, Pharaoh says, ah, clearly this is what this dream means. And Joseph has said there's going to be a number of years of, of plenty, and there's going to be a number of years of famine. And so you need to prepare. So he sets Joseph over all of that. And so Joseph is over this whole uh, initiative to stockpile grain for the years of famine that are coming. And that's what he does. And we find that he rises to a place of prominence. He, starts to, he takes on all of the, the trappings of the Egyptians. He still worships the one true God, but he, he looks in every way. He's speaking Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian. You know it was coming. So all these things happen. But God is testing the genuineness of his faith during this pit experience. God will test the experience, your genuineness of faith through your pit experiences. I've said before, 2020 really hasn't caused a lot of things. It's revealed a lot of things. A lot of times you watch the news and they say 2020 has caused all these different issues in culture. No, 2020 just revealed them. It was just the pressure that revealed what was really going on under the surface. And the same way, that's exactly what a pit experience will do. That extra pressure will reveal the genuineness of your faith. Where do you actually place your faith? In whom do you place your faith? How strong is that faith? Do you truly believe that God is who God says he is and that God will do what God says he will do? So the, God reveals the genuineness of faith through the pit. The second thing we find is this. God's presence empowers perseverance in the pit. God's presence empowers perseverance in the pit. We find that when he is there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar, the officer in, in Pharaoh's army, recognizes that something is going on with Joseph. Listen to Genesis 39 two. The Lord was with Joseph. That's God's presence. 
And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. God's presence empowered Joseph to persevere in the pit experience of living as a slave in Potiphar's house. Now, I know we say, well, that wasn't a literal pit. No, but it was a type of pit. He's living there. He's living in bondage. He's living as a slave. But even there, God is with him. Joseph uses this presence of God and the understanding that God is with him as the main reason that he's not going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Listen to Genesis 39, 9. He is not greater in this house than I am. He's speaking to her. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph says ultimately the sin wouldn't be against Potiphar. The sin wouldn't be against you. The sin would be against God. And God is with me. And I'm not going to do that. And it says, and, she, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So there's this endurance that Joseph is having to go through, this endurance he's having to show in the midst of this pit. It's not only a, it's, it turns into a pit of false accusation. It was a pit of temptation day after day after day after day after day. And yet Joseph endures. How does he endure? Because God is with him. The same thing happens when he ends up in the prison. When he's in prison, you find in Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again, God's continued presence. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I mean, it was the most successful prison the guy's ever seen. If you can have such a thing, which you can, evidently. So everything that was going on in the prison, it was a better place because Joseph was there and there was the presence of the Lord. And he put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and just said, you take care of that. So the warden puts Joseph in charge of the other prisoners because God is with Joseph. Now, how long did this go on? Well, here's what we find. We find if you look back at the beginning of the story of Joseph, Joseph was around 17 years of age, the Bible says, whenever he went out to his brothers. And we find that Around this point in the narrative, Joseph is 30 years of age whenever he is able to enter into the service of Pharaoh. So 13 years. Can I tell you something that could have happened very easily in those 13 years? Bitterness could have grown in Joseph. See, that's one of the things that happens whenever we persevere. If we forget the presence of God, if we forget that God is with us, if we forget that God is ruling over our lives, if we forget that God is sovereign, if we forget that God is in control, then we start 
lapsing into this reliance upon self and the what ifs and the worries and all sorts of other things. And it doesn't take long for worry to, to begin to grow and fester into that deeper hurt and that deeper hurt turn into something along the lines of bitterness. Joseph could have been there. I mean, I'm sure it was difficult on Joseph being forgotten all those years, being in prison for something he didn't do. And he was, he, he was only in Egypt because he was sold by his own flesh and blood. Here's Joseph, and there is the perfect opportunity for bitterness to grow in his heart. You do know that a hurt heart is fertile ground. A hurt heart is fertile ground. When you find someone who has a hurt heart, you find that lots of things can grow there. You find that good things can grow there, bad things can grow there. It's like when you get ready to plant a garden. And you, you cultivate the ground and you, you fertilize it and you get ready to start planting and you plant your seeds and you plant your plants for your garden. And then shortly thereafter, you come back and you start looking, you go, what are all these weeds? Where did they come from? Well, they maybe were brought in on the wind or maybe they were in the soil to begin with, but now you're having to deal with the weeds. You don't go and plant the weeds. The weeds come along with that. The weeds come where there's fertile ground. And so with that fertile ground, we have to watch ourselves because with a hurt heart, it's incredibly fertile ground and lots of things can grow there. A false notion about God can grow there. Wrong theology can grow there. Bitterness and unforgiveness can grow in that fertile ground because hurt hearts end up being very fertile ground. But if we remember that God is with us and we remember the presence of God and we rely upon the presence of God, we rely upon the power of God, then God will enable us to persevere through those pit experiences, no matter how many years that may take. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, listen to the command that God gives to the people of Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that's repeated in the New Testament, that God will never leave us or forsake us. If you're a child of God, God will never leave you he will never forsake you. He will never intentionally walk away from you. He will never accidentally forget you. He will never leave you. He will neither forsake you. So we can depend upon God's continued presence. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you're in one of these places where you're feeling like you're in the pit and you've been betrayed and you've been falsely accused and you've been forgotten and you feel that this is just going on and on and on and the walls of the pit are too high and you've been in there for a very long time, can I just reassure you something based upon God's word that if you are God's child, you have not been forgotten by God. God knows where you are. He knows exactly where you are. He has not misplaced you. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you behind. You are not alone. God's presence is with you if you're a child of God. So you can endure. You can persevere in the pit because of the presence of God. Well, what happens after this in the story of Joseph? Well, we find that Joseph's dad looks at his other brothers and says, listen, uh, we, we gotta, we're, we're, we're starving here. I hear there's food down in Egypt. Joseph's dad believes that Joseph was killed by a wild animal many years earlier. So go down to Egypt 
and get some food. Get some grain, because we're starving. So his brothers go down to Egypt. And as they go down to Egypt, Joseph recognizes them. Now, we don't have time to go into everything this morning, but you can read it on your own, and we'll probably cover this this coming Wednesday night in our, in our Wednesday evening Bible study in more detail. But Joseph turns around, and if you read it in this way, you'll see it very clearly. Joseph tests his brothers without them knowing that it's Joseph. So he puts them through a series of tests to see if they're still the same old brothers that he knew. Now, let's be honest. If it were, if it were left to most of us, it, what would happen when we rose to that level of prime minister of Egypt, so to speak, and Pharaoh said, whatever you need, most of us would probably say something along the lines of, uh, I got a little business that we need to take care of. If I could have a few chariots, a few guys, I won't pay a little trip to Canaan. I got some people I got to settle up with. You know what I'm talking about. We would probably do that, but not Joseph. Joseph just leaves it, but now we find his brothers appear. And when his brothers appear, he starts testing them. Some commentators have said he's toying with them, but it's more than that. He tests them. He puts them to the test to see if their hearts are truly the same as they once were. But in the end, Joseph reveals himself as his brother. Because remember, he looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. So as he reveals himself to his brothers, his brothers are terrified that it is Joseph. Here's what we find. God's purpose reaches beyond the pain of the pit. God's purpose reaches beyond the pain of the pit. Now, before we read this passage, let me time out for one second and give you the way that we should not read this, okay? Because I've heard pastors preach along these lines. I've heard pastors preach from the story of Joseph, and, and we find that Joseph, he has risen to a place of power. He's risen to a place where he has many possessions. He has the power. He has the position. He has all of these things. And sometimes we'll say this, Joseph endured all of these physical difficulties and all of these emotional difficulties. Yes, that's true. And Joseph was not only restored by God, those things were restored to him, but God abundantly blessed him with a position and with power and all these possessions. Yes, that's true as well. But this is where we make a mistake. We sometimes make the jump and say, therefore, God will do the same for every single one of us. That's not what the Bible says. That's, that, that's, that's not at all what it says. A number of years ago, I was in a meeting, and uh, let me give you another example of how this is used. I was in a meeting with a group of pastors, and there was a pastor there whose ministry was doing extraordinarily well. And that pastor and another pastor broke open the Bibles and went to the book of Acts. And they were reading about Pentecost where so many people came to salvation. And this was what they said. When, when a person or when a ministry is being led by God, this is the norm. So this ministry that is growing so rapidly, that should be God's, that is the norm according to God's word. 
And so I just raised my hand. I said, oh, okay. So let me just ask, if we accept that as the norm, if we just read a little farther in Acts, are we also to accept the following persecution of the church as the norm? No, that doesn't count. Wait a minute, you can't have one without the other. If you're saying this is the norm, you got to say the whole thing's the norm. If you're saying that explosive growth should be the norm for every single ministry, if it's truly being led by God, then you also have to say every ministry that is being led by God is going to experience the same depth of persecution that's experienced in the book of Acts. Mind you that Stephen was filled by the Holy Spirit and preached an incredible sermon and they killed him. They stoned him. I said, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to expect that as the norm after every good sermon that I preach. Well, that pretty much shut the meeting down. But the same, the same mentality exists whenever we look at this and we say, this means God's going to bless us just like he blessed Joseph. No, that's not what the Bible says. God has a purpose in the pain of our pit. And it's greater than the pain we experience. That means if God resolves our pit experience here in our lifetime, wonderful. But if he doesn't resolve it here now, he will one day resolve it fully when all is made right. You find, here's the purpose, Genesis 45, verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the year, been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. And Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Joseph says, listen, guys, you thought that it was your plan to put me in, to, to sell me off and to get rid of me. But it ultimately wasn't your plan. It was God's plan to bring me here to preserve a remnant. And we find that God's people are preserved. And it's through this lineage that the Messiah comes, Jesus. And so here's God showing his faithfulness to the people, his people, his chosen people. And he's saying, I'm going to protect them. I'm going to have a remnant. They're not all going to die off. I've got a plan. I've got a bigger purpose than that pit. And Joseph understood that. Joseph understood this is not just about me in this pit. Can I just tell you, it's never just about one of us in a pit. It is about God's bigger, grander, universal purpose that he's working all things toward. Genesis 50, again, Joseph said to them, verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Meaning this, God had a bigger purpose for this pit that Joseph ends up in. 
Does that mean that our pit that we're in, God's going to bring us completely out of that in this lifetime? Not necessarily. He could. He might not. There are people who, who die with all sorts of diseases. There are people who, like in the New Testament, Stephen, who, who preached an incredible gospel, preached an incredible message, was filled with the Holy Spirit and got killed anyway. You look at the lives of the apostles. You look at their suffering and you look at their martyrdom. So does that mean that God is going to set everything right here? No, but it means this, that ultimately all things will be set right by God and that ultimately God is working every single thing, your pit, your pit, your pit, my pit experiences, he's working all of them together for the good because God is always just in everything that he does. That's what we find in the Bible, Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he god is right he's righteous he's just in everything that he does even in my pit even in the darkness of the pit when we're being tested even in the midst of your deepest betrayal even in the midst of the most hurtful false accusation even in the depths of the loneliness of being forgotten that you endure. God is still there in the pit with you. He's there. And ultimately, those deep, dark nights, those deepest, darkest experiences, those are moments that God uses to show us exactly the depth of our faith in him. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He redeems you. He redeems your life from the pit. You know when he did that in the most dramatic way? Jesus. Whenever he sent Jesus and redeemed us, redeemed us from the pit of sin, a pit we can't escape ourselves, a pit that we're hopelessly trapped in, a pit that there is no way that we can climb out, dig out, or otherwise coerce or convince someone to get us out other than Christ. And we cast ourselves upon his mercy. And Jesus, not only did he bring us out of the pit, Jesus took all the darkness of the pit. He took all of the wrath of our sin upon himself to provide a means by which we can know him and by which our pain now has meaning. We don't suffer in vain anymore. We don't. Now our pain has purpose because it's being woven into this grand tapestry that God is, is working that is going to display his glory in all perfection one day. And that's where we find ourselves. So if you're in the midst of a pit experience, you're at a pit spot, a pit stop, and you don't know how long you're going to be in there. And you, and you may not have, you may, it may not have been your fault that you ended up in the pit like Joseph. You just may have been going along trying to follow God, do what God has called you to do. And again and again and again, you just keep being thrown into the pit. Can I tell you, God hasn't forgotten you. He knows where you are. In the midst of that pit, he's testing the genuineness of your faith. In the midst of that faith, trust his presence, that he is there with you. And trust that that presence will empower you to persevere in the midst of that pit experience, no matter how long it takes. And trust that God has a bigger plan. 
And that plan involves the pain that you're enduring right now. But that plan and that purpose is far bigger and far grander than any pain that we may go through in this temporal life. Because God has a plan to reveal his glory in us who call ourselves his children that will show the entire universe his goodness and his graciousness, his justice and his love, his perfection and his holiness for all eternity. Even though right now, temporarily, we may experience a pit stop. Let's pray. Lord God, as hard as it is to say, God, we thank you for the pit stops. Some of us would say that 2020 thus far has felt like one giant pit stop. And Father, we, we come before you, and Father, I recognize there are people here in our faith family, there are people who are watching or listening, and they've endured a great deal in recent months, or maybe some have been enduring uh, a time of the pit for many months or many years now. Maybe they've just been in a season where it seems like the night just continues to grow dark, and there doesn't seem to be an end. Father, I pray that through these times of testing, that our faith would emerge purified. You not only reveal the genuineness of our faith, but through these tests and through these trials, you burn off all these other things that we depend upon. And so, Father, in the midst of that crucible, in the midst of that pit, may we just stay put. And may your presence empower us to persevere. And Father, I pray that you might breathe that, that second wind into those who are weary. And that the, the knowledge of your presence, your promised presence, would bear us along. Father, I pray that we would trust whether we see it in this life or not, we would trust that you have a greater purpose, a purpose that extends far beyond the pain of our pit, that reaches far beyond any temporal suffering, that you're working, as you tell us in your word, an eternal weight of glory in us. And this is a light, momentary affliction that we endure. It seems heavy, and it is. But compared to the weight of glory, it's a light thing. And may we have that eternal perspective. And Father, I pray for anybody here today, anybody watching or listening, who would say, I'm in a pit of sin, and I've never cried out to Christ to bring me out. Father, help them to understand there's nothing they can do to drag themselves out, to climb out, to dig out but it's all based upon the mercy of Christ. It's all based upon the completed work of Christ. It's all based upon his willingness to forgive. So Father, I pray that they would cry out to you. I pray that they would, they would ask for that forgiveness. They would trust Christ's sacrifice, that he went through the darkest of nights, 
the darkest of days, the darkest moment in human history, there upon the cross, so that we could experience the light of his grace, his love, and his mercy. And so, Father, we pray now that you would go before each one of us. Whatever pit we are in, whatever pit we may face, may we continue to be faithful, knowing that you're with us, knowing that you have a purpose, and knowing that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.